Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio AM640, the number to get hold of Savan anytime, 416-216-5910, and it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We will get to the uh, injury calculator, a very interesting and useful tool. Before that, my friend, we always get to the week that was. That's right, John. Uh, hello to everybody who's listening. Uh, I want to pick up on a uh, case that we talked about a few weeks ago. This was an email that I had read out that I got uh, through the um, Accident Questions website that right. we run. Uh, and uh, j- just to remind our listeners, uh, this particular individual, this lady, uh, wrote to me an email about a slip and fall that she had. And I'm just going to read the first two lines of her email just to refresh the memory mm-hmm. of the listeners. And she she wrote, I was driving home today listening to your show on 640... Uh, AM 640, and it was like you were sitting next to me telling me to finally do something. I had slipped in the parking lot of a local McDonald's and landed on my knees. Oh, do you remember that one, John? Yes. That's yeah, the yeah, one yeah. where she was saying that, you know what, maybe I'm out of time, maybe yeah. I'm not. So we've been in touch with her, and here's what we found out. Uh, her slip and fall happened in March of 2014. Where are we today, John? We are in June. We are in June of wow. 2014. That's right. So she is out of time. Can we make an argument that perhaps... Uh, there is an exception that she falls under. Maybe we can make some of a, some kind of a claim. Maybe, but you know, it's a big lesson to everyone out there. This lady, based on her email and the conversations we've had, she would have had an excellent case. And uh, I'm going to talk later on in the show about a conversation I had with a friend of mine who's an adjuster at an insurance company. Right. Uh, and what he told me, uh, I'm going to share that with our listeners. But you know, very important people to understand: this is money that's owed to you for compensation for your injuries. Don't wait. If you are out of time, this is money that is now going to be kept by the insurance company. You can't get access to it. Okay, the law is very strict on this. You got two years from the date of the accident to make a claim subject to certain exceptions. You do not want to be arguing those exceptions. Some of those exceptions would be if it's a youth, somebody under 18, right? If you're under 18 or if perhaps there is a discoverability uh, issue, perhaps uh, you right. weren't aware of certain injuries or the accident, uh, you know, it, it wasn't as simple as, as simply as a slip and fall. Maybe it was a medical malpractice case, right. uh, a dental malpractice case, uh, and perhaps two years down the road when you're having issues, uh, you know, a new dentist is telling you, you know, the old dentist screwed up. So you've just discovered really that you have a cause of action right. against the old dentist. Uh, but, you know, when you slip and fall, you know that you've slipped and fell. Uh, when you have a car accident, you know that you had a car accident. Right. Don't wait. Don't wait. The longer you wait, uh, the, the, the more likely it is that you're going to jeopardize your claim. And, and even if you are within the timeline to start a claim, you've just delayed the process. You've just delayed the time uh, that it would take you to recover the compensation that's owed to For you sure. under the law. What else you got? All right. So uh, let me read you an email that I got through another website that we have, mydisabilityquestions.com. Let me just turn to that. So mm-hmm. this came from Sandra in Minden, Ontario, and I'm going to read her question to me, and then we're going to analyze it. So here's what she writes. I've been on LTD, which is long-term disability, for two years, and they are now cutting me off. They said that there's not enough medical documentation to continue. My doctor says I should not be working at all. Uh, I have RA and lupus, and I'm on all kinds of medications. And besides the physical challenges, uh, my brain is just not functioning properly. She says there is a three-month appeal period, and then she ends with, do I have a case? And I can tell you, John, just by reading the email, without even talking to her, and of course we did talk to her, of course she has a case. If you are on long-term disability and the insurance company is saying that they're going to cut you off, or they did cut you off, and your own doctors are supporting your disability. In other words, your doctors have written reports saying you cannot go back to work at the present time. That should be sufficient medical documentation for the insurance company. 
Oftentimes, insurance companies will come back and say, we need clarification. We want you to go to our doctors, and we'll talk about those things. We've talked about them before. But, you know, when the insurance company tells you, we just don't have enough medical documentation uh, to continue paying you disability, don't just assume that, you know, game's over. Don't assume that you're not entitled to further payments. You don't assume that they can cut you off just like right. that. They are betting on you simply walking away. And so in Sandra's case, there's no question in my mind, based on what she wrote, that she has a case. And it's not going to be a difficult case to resolve either. That's the thing. We've been in situations where uh, our clients, before they became our clients, were told that they were going to be cut off. They were literally given, you know, a two-month heads right. up saying, you're going to be cut off because of so-and-so. And we had intervened and were able to prevent the cutoff. So oftentimes we can actually help even before the cutoff. Because, I mean, imagine, John, you have a family, you have a mortgage, you have all these expenses. You're relying on these payments. You're hoping you're going to get back to work at some point in the future. I mean, everybody hopes to do that. For sure. Who's injured or is disabled. Uh, but you need the insurance company's help. That's the whole point of having this insurance. It's a safety net. Well, when they pull that safety net from under you, you got to go to someone, somebody who knows the area of law, mm -hmm. someone who can deal with the insurance company on their own terms, uh, you know, to equalize the uh, the playing field, so to speak. And and that's what we do. We do that on a daily basis. You touched on, uh, well, you mentioned mydisabilityquestions.com. We've got about a minute or two left until we take a break. Give me, uh, give me some details on what that is. That's a great website, and it's been used uh, quite a lot since we launched it. I believe it was last year or even two years ago. Uh, you can just go to that website, and you can just post a question. And it's, it's a question that comes directly to me. I get it on my phone, my desktop, whatnot, and I answer the question. It doesn't cost anything. It's anonymous. You can put your name there if you want, yeah. but you know, I, I'm not going to be contacting you unless you put your contact information there, unless you seek me out. Sure. And many people do. Uh, and my, my job, what, what I see my job to be is to just provide this information. And oftentimes, I'll direct you to certain areas, resources on the internet uh, or outside of the internet, government agencies, etc., that will help you. Uh, you know, with, with the questions that you have. So my point, my, 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 my job or the job of this website is to provide information to the public. And it's been very helpful. A lot of people have been posting uh, questions. And I think it's a great resource. I mean, if you go on there, you may see the question that you were just about to ask. Exactly. That's already been answered. You can go there anytime, mydisabilityquestions.com. Another uh, amazing tool is uh, the injury calculator. We'll get to that after a short break. In the meantime, you need contacts of Ann, very simple. His number, 416-216-5910, anytime, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here on Talk Radio, AM 640. The number is 416-216-5910. That's uh, Savant's number anytime you need it. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll finish off one more case you had this week, and we'll get into what I mentioned when we uh, went into the break, and that is the injury calculator. That's right, John. So let's talk about Don from Newmarket, who had a car accident, and he contacted me this past week as well. Uh, and here's the, the basic information. He was driving with his wife back in early December. The road was icy, uh, and he hit a rough, um, rough patch of ice, and he swerved and he hit the guardrail. It was a fairly significant collision, okay? So it was one of those uh, cases. It wasn't, uh, you know, 20 kilometers an hour. It was much faster than that. It was a lot of damage to the car. Police and ambulance arrived. Now, he was okay, but his wife suffered more serious injuries. Mm -hmm. She actually suffered a torn right shoulder. And for those of us uh, who have had those kinds of uh, injuries, very, very significant uh, and really affects everything you do on a daily basis. Uh, she also had lacerations to her face because the window shattered on impact. Oh. So that tells you how significant yeah. the, uh, the accident was. But, but here's the thing. He called me because he heard me say 
that passengers in vehicles, when they have a car accident, that they can make claims for compensation against the drivers. You bet. Remember, we talked about that, and you know, even you were a, a bit shocked at that. That you know, how can a wife make a claim against a husband, or the the child make a claim against the parent, or right. against your friends, etc.? Well, the law provides that if the driver is negligent, even if there's no second car, third car, it's just one car, and the driver is negligent, and they caused an accident um, that resulted in injuries to a passenger, the passenger is entitled to make a claim for compensation against the driver. But, you know, even though it's against the driver, it's really the insurance company of the driver that's getting activated, right? It's the insurance company that is insuring this vehicle that is responding to the claim. And and that's why I tell people, look, you know, again, you are not asking for compensation that you do not deserve. The law allows you to make that claim. If you choose not to, that is completely your choice. But if the law says that you are entitled to this compensation and you choose not to, as far as I'm concerned, you're a sucker. Why? Yeah. Because this money's owed to you. You know who's going to keep that money if you don't uh, claim company. for it? The insurance company. That's all. And are you going to get a discount on your uh, insurance rates? No. And by the way, uh, in Don's case, his insurance rates are going to go up anyways because he was at fault for this single accident right. collision. Right. So it's not as though making a claim against him is going to change anything for in, you know, in, in that respect. Uh, now, interestingly enough, uh, there was another piece of information that I just wanted to raise in that case. Apparently, the headlights in his vehicle were not working at the time of the accident. So then the question was, well, how is that going to impact the determination of liability and fault? And you know, John, oftentimes when we have these kinds of cases, whether I'm acting uh, for the plaintiff or in my former life for the defense, for insurance companies, one of the questions that we ask is, you know, was your vehicle, sir, in proper working order? Were there any issues with it? Uh, Were the brakes okay? You know, was the steering okay? Were the lights okay? And why are we asking? Because you as the owner of the vehicle or as the driver of the vehicle, you have an obligation under the law to make sure that this vehicle that you are uh, operating, which is essentially a huge weapon, uh, mm-hmm. is properly maintained sure. and that you're not driving a car. You know, by the way, that, that, that reminds me, uh, how many of us have seen in wintertime, uh, you know, these cars that are being driven by people who uh, just, uh, um, you know, they, they're covered in snow and ice. Just enough to look out like a tank. Just, exactly, yeah. Right? You, you literally see like, you know, a small dot on yeah. the windshield yeah. and, and, you know, there's no way that person can actually see who is yeah. on the just right, lazy. on the left. It's, you're just lazy. Yeah. But you're creating the right circumstances for an accident. Well, guess what? That is going to affect the case. That's going to that's gonna definitely uh, mean that, uh, you know, in the event that there is a collision and, and you are involved in that collision, trust me, that information will come out and that's going to bode uh, uh, really badly for you. Of course. And your insurance company is not going to be happy with you. So, you know, if you're parking your car outside, like many of us do, make sure that in wintertime conditions, you know, you really clear the car off snow, of ice, you have good visibility, not only for the legalities of it, but I mean, for God's sakes, you want to be able to see where All you're sense. going. So in this case, when he was asking me about the headlights not working, I said, well, listen, it's another nail in your coffin, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? It's another argument that uh, your wife's going to have or, you know, her lawyer is going to have uh, against your insurance company to say, look, you were at fault here, not only because you lost control of the vehicle, but clearly the car was not in proper mechanical condition. Yeah, nothing personal, honey. Nothing personal, exactly. Well, listen, at the end of the day, you know, she's injured and the money's probably going to go to the whole family, but that's not the point. The point is, in law, she's entitled to it. Got a couple minutes, injurycalculator.ca. So that's a great website and uh, we've talked about it quite a lot. It's utilized very, very frequently. Uh, It's an anonymous uh, uh, website. Uh, It's it's a website that you can just go if you've been injured or a family member or a friend has been injured, they can go on it. 
and you can uh, simply input when was the accident, where did it happen, you know, the city, what kind of injury did you sustain, the severity of the injury. Mm. Literally, it takes you 20, 30 seconds to go through it. It's just click-down menus, essentially. Uh, and, and what it does is, at the end, it tells you, here's how much you could potentially get for your pain and suffering under the laws in this country. And how did we come up with these numbers? Uh, we we uh, looked at uh, cases from across the country. You know, if you broke your knee, John, and you're 30 years old, well, there's been other people who are 30 years old who broke their knee in a slip and fall, in a car accident, whatever the accident is. Uh, and judges have given their opinions about what that injury is worth in dollar amount. Again, we're just talking about pain and suffering. And so what we did is we we scoured the uh, the legal databases across the country, and there's an algorithm in this website that takes the information you've inputted, right, that drop-down menus, the mm-hmm. selections you've made, and it tells you, based on the cases that we've reviewed across the country, across Canada, here's what you could potentially be getting or be entitled to or money that is owed to you for your pain and suffering for the injury because of this accident. It gives you a window. It gives you something to look at. Exactly. We'll take a a quick break. Lots to go through. We'll get to some of your emails. You want to send one, we'll read a couple as soon as we come back. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And the phone number anytime to get a hold of Savannah, you know it, 416-216-5910. The Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM640. 416-216-5910. 5910, that is Savan's number anytime. Write it down, keep it on your phone. You might need it someday. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the email. We will get to one as promised. Uh, I got one here, Savan from uh, Robert. He's in Barry. says, I was in a car accident almost two years ago. Uh oh, here we go. And tore my meniscus in my right knee, 43 years old, and the accident was not my fault. I did have surgery on that knee about 10 years ago, but it was fine until this accident. Uh, with my prior knee issues, will it be a problem if I start a claim for compensation? I'm still limping and have difficulty working. So the skinny of it is, is my former surgery going to affect the Yeah, client, is right? that going to be an issue? Yeah. Well, and it's funny because when you were reading that email, John, uh, you were saying, oh, you know, when, when you read almost two years ago, right. and I agree with you, that's the same reaction I had. Almost two years ago, uh, Rob, the first thing we need to know is exactly when this happened because if you are up against the limitation period, uh, we may need to start a claim very, very soon so that you don't miss that. Again, if you miss it, you're going to be in a very difficult situation if you do have a claim. Now, let me answer the substance of the question. And this I get asked all the time, and I'm trying to dispel this myth. If you had uh, prior surgery on a body part, if you had injured a body part before, whether it's your back, on your shoulder, or your knee, whatever it is, but you know, a year or two years before this accident, the one that just happened, or in Rob's case, two years ago, if he was stable right? Mm -hmm. By stable, I mean, uh, when you look at his medical records, it shows that he had this issue with his knee 10 years ago, but it shows that he's been able to work since then. He's been able to play sports. You got it. There's a baseline. And then, but, but as a result of, of that condition, he was in a precarious state, meaning he was what we call in law thin skull. What does that mean? It means that your knee was not as robust as it would have been had you not had that issue before. Okay. And you then re-injure it because of someone's negligence, you are not at fault for the fact that you had a bad knee and it was just re-injured. It's whoever was at fault for the accident that is responsible. So the fact that you had a bad knee doesn't do anything bad for your case. It doesn't mean you can't recover. If anything, it actually supports the fact that, you know, even though perhaps you had just a a fender bender as an example, I have these cases, by the way, John, where, you know, you have very slight, uh, small accidents 
uh, accidents, which for you and me would mean nothing, but for someone with, uh, let's say, a bad back or uh, surgery in the past uh, in their neck or whatnot. It's hugely traumatic, It's hugely traumatic because they are more vulnerable. If you are more vulnerable and that body part that is vulnerable was just re-injured because of someone's negligence, you are not at fault. They and their insurance company is going to have to cough up the compensation that's owed to you. That's what the law says. It's black and white. There's no question. Where people get a little confused is, well, hold on for a second. Let's say I look at, uh, John, I look at your family doctor's records, okay? I ask for your family doctor's records for the past year. Let's say you had a slip and fall a month ago. And I'm looking at those records and I'm seeing that over the past year, you went to your family doctor every week complaining of back pain. Mm -hmm. And let's say you had the slip and fall and you come to me. And now after the accident, you continue to go to your family doctor once every week because of back pain. Well, then the insurance company is going to say, hold on for a second. We're looking at the medical records before the accident and after the accident, and we're not seeing a change here. We're seeing that you're complaining about the exact same body part at the exact same frequency. You're not getting any more medications. You're still getting the same prescription painkillers. Then it's more difficult to say that you have a new injury. Maybe you have an exacerbation, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe it's a bit worse. But it's not a situation like what Rob is describing where, you know, he had surgery on his knee 10 years ago, but it was fine until it was functional until two years ago when he had this car accident. And generally, we can prove that through medical records. We can show that, you know, in the years leading up to this car accident, he was fine. The knee was stable. He was working full time. No issues. But after the accident, look, now he's disabled. Now he's in a much worse situation. Trust me when I tell you that I don't care what the insurance company is going to say. I don't care what the defense lawyer is going to say. There is no way that they believe that they don't owe you compensation. So, Robert, I suggest you contact me ASAP because of that upcoming two-year limitation period. Let's look at your case. Let's talk. It's not going to take a long time for me to tell you if you have a case or not uh, and the significance of the case. It's going to cost you nothing. Uh, you know, We're just going to challenge the phone. Yeah, nothing. It's, yeah. It costs you nothing. Uh, at the very least, you'll know what you can do and what your options are. And, and you can make an informed decision. Well, I'll give you a quick question just because it's that time of the year with everything going on in the news and the city trying to become, you know, more environmentally friendly, people walking and cycling to work. How about that? Cyclists versus cars. If a cyclist is injured by a car, can that person be compensated? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's funny, this is coming on the heels of, uh, you know, all the brouhaha about cyclists getting all these tickets yep. and... You know, it's a, it's a, it's long been a very antagonistic relationship between uh, cars and, and bicycles. And I understand both sides, really. But to answer your question, can a cyclist be compensated? Absolutely. But what happens in a case where you are, uh, you know, using your bicycle on a nice day uh, and, uh, I don't know, you, you, you are in a situation where a car just crosses your path and, and you're injured. Now, let's say you don't have car insurance, John. What do you do? Well... Remember those accident benefits we talked about mm-hmm. in car accidents? If you're injured in a car accident, you're entitled to income replacement benefits right. in the event you can't work, uh, uh, rehabilitation benefits if you need massage, chiropractic, sure. etc. Well, so first of all, uh, you would be entitled to benefits from the insurance company of whoever hits you if you don't have your own automobile insurance. Yeah. Okay? Very important. So the fact that you yourself choose to be green, don't have any automobiles, don't have any automobile insurance, doesn't mean that you can't be compensated for that, that you can't get those benefits. But in addition, uh, if you, uh, if the other side was at fault for the accident, you're entitled, of course, for compensation for your pain and suffering, okay. compensation for any other types of damages that are not covered uh, through the accident benefits regime. Very, very important. And even in a situation where there's absolutely no insurance, the car you know, fled the scene, sure. uh, you, 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 the, the, the car has no insurance, you could go after the Ontario Motor Vehicle Accident Fund 
Um, and at, at that point, you have a ceiling of up to $200,000. So the gist is, my point is, you're a cyclist, you're injured, you have no insurance yourself. It doesn't mean you cannot get compensation. You can. There are various avenues. Uh, and again, I, I highly recommend for people to contact me so we can have that discussion if they are in that situation. 416-216-5910. Savan's number anytime. You want to get, you throw us an email. We'll get to it during the show here. Hopefully, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll continue with lots more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here on Talk Radio AM 640. 416-216-5910. That's Savan's number anytime. His email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Contact him as soon as you can if you're facing any of the problems that we talk about on the show here each week, the Insurance and Injury Law Show. I want to talk about this. Well, actually, before I get to this one, interesting story you have. We mentioned the cyclist versus car and the cyclist being able to claim on the uh, driver's insurance, or if they have their own automobile insurance, they just happen to be riding their bike at the time. What happens if it's a cyclist's fault? If it's a cyclist's fault, the cyclist is still going to be entitled to accident benefits. Mm-hmm. So you can still access those income replacement benefits, medical rehabilitation benefits, and a whole gamut of benefits, um, because these are called non-fault benefits, no-fault benefits. Okay, No different than if you were a passenger or a driver yourself and you caused the collision, John. Now, if you as a cyclist were at fault for the accident, and we'll talk about that later, well then, just like in any situation, if you are at fault, you can't get pain and suffering damages because you were at fault. The way our law works is that someone else has to be at fault for you to be able to make a claim against them for that compensation. But again, it doesn't mean that you can't get the basic no-fault benefits that we talked about, like rehabilitation benefits and income replacement benefits. We know that many people choose not to claim compensation for their injuries or long-term disability. Now, you recently spoke with an insurance adjuster buddy of yours, a little inside information here, and I have a very interesting discussion on the topic. Yeah, you know, this is interesting. I mean, I oftentimes uh, continue to, uh, to have lunch and dinner with a lot of friends from the insurance world. Some of them are adjusters, some of them are defense lawyers, and, uh, you know, it helps me keep a perspective on what I'm doing. And of course, when I started doing plaintiff work, working for individuals, uh, they used to laugh that I went over to the dark side. Uh, Interesting how, you know, perspective changes. Uh, You know, listen, at the end of the day, there is no dark side. Uh, You know, people who are injured are entitled to compensation. But that said, insurance companies have a job to do. They're in the business of making money. So let me tell you about this interesting lunch. Yeah, that's the dark side. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Let me tell you about this interesting lunch. So I've known this adjuster for 10 years or so. um, And... He, we were talking about various claims that I was handling. Um, I wasn't breaching confidentiality. I was talking in the abstract, changing some facts. And, you know, he, he says to me, uh, this is over uh, a nice uh, steak salad. Uh, yes. He says to me, you know, I don't understand why people are not claiming uh, for compensation when they are seriously injured. In other words, insurance adjusters oftentimes deal with individuals who are not being represented by injury lawyers. Yep. Okay, a lot of people obviously are very skeptical of lawyers. A lot of personal injury lawyers have a bad reputation. So clearly, based on what we see in the movies, you know, people don't want to necessarily go to to a lawyer initially. They think they can do it themselves, or they think, you know, why pay a lawyer? Uh, why, uh, you know, involve a lawyer? Let me see if I can do it myself. Not realizing, of course, that they are up against uh, a machine, the insurance machine. And that's all they do for a living, these guys, these adjusters, is they adjust claims. And their job is to get the best deal for the insurance company, their employer. So, you know, he's telling me, well, you know, I, I've dealt with these individuals. And oftentimes, uh, he says, I, I explain to them, here's what I can do for you. And, and he's, he's a good guy. And he doesn't tell them to go and hire a lawyer, but he tells them you, you should get independent legal advice. So in other words, I'm going to offer you a sum of money for your injury, but you should go and get independent legal advice. 
And what he finds is that oftentimes these individuals don't end up going and getting legal advice. They end up accepting significantly less money than they should be getting. Now, he's telling me this, obviously, in confidence. Mm-hmm. He's not giving me specifics. He's just telling me, generally, generally speaking, yeah. having done this for uh, you know uh, almost two decades. And, and you know, it just struck me as, as so, so dumb. It's just so, it, it makes absolutely no sense for someone who is being told by the other side, by the adjuster, go get independent legal advice. And you're choosing not to do that. And instead you think, you know everything, you know, I've Googled what these things are worth. And perhaps he went to our, you know, the, the injury calculator uh, uh, website. And, you know, the injury calculator said, you, you know, your injury is worth $30,000 for pain and suffering. And that's what the adjuster is giving him, $30,000. So I'm good. But you're so good, except, except, except that now you can't work, right? So yeah. you're losing thirty grand a year on income, right? But you didn't get that independent legal advice. You don't know what other things you're missing in that settlement. But here's the problem. Once you sign that piece of paper, that release, you're done. And John, since we started this show, I must have had, over the last few years, over 100 people at least contact me at some point, because they've heard me on the show, coming to me, wanting me to reopen their case after their, they, they, they signed the release. Check. You yeah. cannot do that, okay? There are extremely rare circumstances where this is done. I've, almost, I've only seen, I think, one or two in, in my career. It's, it's almost impossible to reverse these things. So he used an interesting phrase when we talked about uh, these kinds of settlements. You know, he says to me, he says, the money is owed to them. And you know, it struck a chord with me because we often talk about you are entitled to this money, you're entitled to compensation. But when you use the word entitled, you think, oh, entitlement, yeah, sure. You know, the millennials, the yeah. millennials, and, and, and just generally speaking, people think they're entitled to things. No, you're not entitled to anything. You know, you have to work for it. You right. have to do this. It's got a bad connotation, right? It's got a bad connotation, but, but here's the reality. The, you know, use whatever word you, you want to use. The word he used, and again, this is the adjuster. He says, this money is owed, owed to you, John. It's owed to you. If somebody owes you five bucks, should you not ask for it? What if the insurance company owes you $10,000? What if they owe you $100,000? What if they owe you $500,000? It's owed to you. And people don't get that. Well, some of them do. A lot of them don't. So two issues that he identified for me. Number one, the people, for some reason, mischaracterize this amount of money that I'm saying is owed to you, they think that, you know, I'm telling them they're entitled to it. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a bad thing. No, you are owed this money under the law. Okay. That's why the insurance company is paying it. They're not doing it from the goodness of their heart. Right. Okay. They're paying you because they have to. And number two, this thing that he told me that, that, that he said to me, and I, 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 I knew it was happening. I just didn't realize it was happening to such a degree that people are trying to do these deals by themselves and they get burned. They just don't know how badly they get burned. And, you know, Lior talks about that in his show, too, as well, that people just don't have, they don't understand. They'll come to him after they've been let go, thinking, you know, I'm just owed vacation, where, in, in fact, they're owed their a, a ton of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing with injuries. So, please, if you're out there, don't try to negotiate these things by yourself. At the very least, follow what this friend of mine said, this adjuster. Get independent legal advice before you sign the release. 416-216-5910. There's a good place to start with the phone number and the email as well. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. That's where we'll pick it up when we come back with another one of your emails here on the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM640. 416-216-5910 and help at the insurancelawyer.ca. The Insurance and Injury Law Show. Savannah Tamarkin, our uh, 
Our host right here knows all the knowledge. In fact, you have so much knowledge, and I'll look at my show notes. It says right here under this heading, Savant to describe several scenarios and have John try to figure out who is at fault. Oh, we're going to play a game, are we? I figured we might as well have some fun, yes. Okay, who's going to have the fun? And I'm sure uh, the yeah. listeners out there are going to have some fun, and uh, some of them are going to get this right, yeah. uh, and well, some of them are going to get this answer, wrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, go ahead. Yeah, you can call a friend. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, John, so let's, uh, let's start this off. So, we have car one is driving and is tailgating car two. Is it a Corolla? <laughs> Just asking. Why? A gold Corolla? A gold is it Corolla? Fall right yeah. away? <laughs> you can choose whatever car you want. Car one is driving and tailgating car two. Now, which one of us has not been in that situation? Yep. So, the driver of car two gets pissed off and slams on the brakes, causing car one to rear end yep. car two. My question to you is, just based on this fact scenario, who's at fault and to what degree? Car two is at fault. Why? Because he's the one who caused the accident. Okay. And he's. we f- always do that. We've done it. How many times you tapped your brakes going, oh, you know what, buddy, get off my rear Absolutely. end. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I'm guilty of that too. Yeah. But he's, he's at fault to what degree? 50%. What would you say? 50 You know what? That's, that's reasonable. I would say 50%. All right. I, I would. Absolutely. And, and you know, this is important people to understand that, you know, when we're looking at, at car uh, uh, accident cases, it's not always a black and white situation. Oftentimes when we're looking at a rear end collision, someone who hit you from behind, you know, it may look like, uh, you know. Falling too close. You falling, assume that's what the charge you is got it. Be, yeah. And the insurance company may say, you yeah. fall too closely, too yeah. bad. Well, listen, the fact that the insurance company said, we deem you to be at fault, doesn't mean that civilly, in other words, from a liability standpoint, if there is a claim for compensation, it doesn't mean it's black and white. Right. If you slam the brakes... You know, I'm not going to say you're stupid because a lot of people do that and I've done that too. It's just not wise to do. It's not smart. You're going to cause an injury. You're going to cause an accident. And legally, even though you were re-rendered, the other person was tailgating you, you're probably going to be found to some degree at fault. Of course, you're going to say you never slammed your brakes, Mm -hmm. but the other guy is going to say you did slam your brakes. So you're going to have contradicting testimony and you may have witnesses there. So again, uh, you got this right, John, and I think many people who are listening are going to say the exact same thing and people will have their own opinions. And, you know, by the way, in a lot of these kinds of cases, it's all about opinions. I'm going to be arguing one thing and the defense lawyer is going to argue something else. But the key thing to take away from this is that it's not always black and white. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's go with uh, scenario number two. Well, sure. we, have, we have a cyclist here. So a cyclist is cycling in a non-bike lane, and uh, he or she is approaching a red light. There are a few cars stopped at that light. As the cyclist approaches, someone opens the passenger door from a nearby car, and the cyclist rams into it. Who would you say is at fault? Based on if you're well, a judge, based on what we hear in the news, it's always the driver of the car or the passenger <laughs> who opened the door. But what Should about, be, but it is. What about the fact if the cyclist wasn't? Uh, let's say there was a, there was a bike lane, um, but he just wasn't using it. He was outside the bike lane. Then I would say it was the cyclist's fault. But would you say it's one hundred percent? Would would you, would you attribute some kind of uh, proportionality to it, the degree? I would say it's probably fifty fifty. Because I mean, I always look before I open my door, right? So here's an interesting thing for you, and right. we didn't touch about this before, but we touched about this uh, in in other shows. Uh, in a case, remember I told you that if you are a pedestrian and you cross the street and you're mm-hmm. hit by a car, under the law, there is a reverse onus provision. What does that mean? It means that if you make a claim for compensation as the uh, pedestrian, you don't have to prove that the car driver is at fault. They have to prove why they are not at fault. Okay, remember this presumed innocent until right. proven guilty? Okay. It's sort of reversed a bit in, in a case of a pedestrian. This applies also to a cyclist. Okay. So in this case... 
even though I agree with you, there's going to be some kind of a distribution of fault between the two of them, again, depending on um, witness testimony and mm-hmm. what people say uh, and how well the witnesses uh, play out. At the end of the day, the driver of the vehicle is going to have to show why they were not negligent. And of course, here you have another issue with the fact that there is a passenger in the vehicle, right? Okay. So who's at fault? Is it the driver of the vehicle? Right, or the passenger. Is it the passenger of the vehicle? Is it the, 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 the cyclist? Again, very important when you are injured in a case, uh, in, in any circumstance, uh, whether it's with a car, as a pedestrian, as a cyclist, you have to go to a lawyer that can analyze this, 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 these things. Mm-hmm. Because it's not always straightforward and it's not always easy to, to figure out who's at fault. Okay, let's, let's uh, try another one. Okay. Car one is waiting to make a left-hand turn at a busy intersection. Mm-hmm. The light turns yellow. Car one is about to make the turn. The light turns red. And car one starts making the turn. But car two that is coming from the opposite direction goes through the red light and collides with car one. Yep. Who's at fault? The left turn guy. Why? They always are. Every case I've seen where someone's <laughs> turning left on the light, that guy's always at fault. Okay, fair enough. But what about the fact that uh, you know the person who is making the left-hand turn has the onus of making sure that the intersection is clear? Oh, 100%. He's a D-bag of the highest order. But they, they, that person always gets charged at fault when they're turning left through an intersection. What if you have a witness that says that the guy who was making a left-hand turn could have seen the guy who was mm, blowing the red? I don't know. I don't know. So again, you're going to have some kind of a... Of right. a, of a so so how, how would you apportion fault? What would you say if you were the judge? Well, so far I've said 50-50, so let's go Look there. Look at you, 50-50. Yeah. How about that, eh? I'm an even guy. Uh, Am I close? Is that, these are the odds you use when you go to Vegas? <laughs> that's why I don't go to Vegas. <laughs> Okay, all right. That's that's good. Again, it just uh, you know we, we see this all the time as well. And by the way, the, the things can get more complicated when when you have the police weigh in mm-hmm. and lay charges, and they may be laying charges against the person who ran a red. They may be laying charges for the guy who made the left turn right. uh, unsafely. Again, we have to look at all the components here. Uh, it's a bit more complicated than just you and I thinking. Oh, okay, this is what should happen. There there are other rules that play in, and again, very important to seek legal advice if this happens to you. Uh, last scenario, really quickly. A pedestrian is jaywalking and is struck by an oncoming car. Mm-hmm. Who's at fault? The car. Why? I just think he is. But the pedestrian know. was jaywalking. Yeah, I know. They get away with all kinds of stuff. They're like cyclists. <laughs> what? What? God, you're prejudiced <laughs> against... Uh... Oh, you know, start paying insurance and get a license plate in the back of your bike. Anyway, so where are we? Well, listen, I mean, uh, so, so the person was jaywalking and you know, these yep. cases happen all the time. In fact, I, yeah, I do uh, it all the time. Yeah, I, I, and I have these kinds of cases and it's always an argument because mm-hmm. the defense lawyer is going to say, listen, this person could have just uh, walked, uh, you know, a hundred meters down the road and they would have had the crosswalk. No problem. Sure. Again. You know, it's a pedestrian, so there is a reverse onus. The car accident uh, driver is going to have to show why they are not negligent. Again, we're going to have to see what witnesses say, but it could very well be, you're right, mm-hmm. again, as before, 50-50, or it could be yeah. 75-25. Right. Again, these are very interesting scenarios, but it's not always dependent on what your insurance company says. Insurance company may say that the other guy's at fault, but you may be, to some degree, at fault as well. Because you were jaywalk. Try that one in New York. Try that, yeah. Nobody, nobody pays no, attention don't to try, New don't York. Try, you just don't walk try. Whenever, you got a, whenever you got a chance, right? right. We'll take a, a short break, 416-216-5910, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. The number is 416-216-5910. That'll get you in touch with Savannah anytime. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, used quite readily by Jessica. She uh, writes in from Hamilton, says, My husband went for his uh, usual run last Friday in the evening around 10 p.m., close to our home and tripped on the sidewalk because of a piece of construction pipe that was protruding upwards from the sidewalk. He broke his knee 
and was taken to hospital. He will need to do surgery now. Who is responsible for this injury and what's the likelihood of success if we make a claim? It's a good question because the question of who's responsible uh, often eludes uh, people and lawyers as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I when I did defense work and worked for insurance companies, the amount of claims that would come through my desk where the proper parties were not involved in the claim it was just staggering to me. And what does that mean? Look, clearly here, uh, based on Jessica's account of what happened, someone did something wrong, okay? Maybe there's a construction company, maybe it's the city, maybe the construction company has another subcontractor. All of these entities, okay, see them as entities, see them as corporations. They all have insurance, or they should. Generally, they do. Well, you know, if you are, if you think it's the city, for example, that was responsible here, and you make a claim against the city, maybe a year down the road, you're going to get a city lawyer is going to tell you, hold on for a second, that wasn't us. It's our property, but we, we hired this construction company. Sure. And okay, you so, say, okay, well, I've lost this year. It's too bad I didn't know this beforehand. And now I'm going to have to bring them into the claim, get them updated on everything on what's happened. And then a year down the road after that, you find out from their lawyers that- They hold on. Yeah, exactly. Oh, what a mess. So, you know, the question of who's responsible is really key here because oftentimes when you don't name all the proper parties and you don't include all of them, then at the negotiating table, you're going to get stuck because everyone is going to say, I'm not at fault. I'm not at fault. I'm not at fault. Well, who's at fault for God's sakes? And it, it gets very, very frustrating. So in, in your husband's case, Jessica, one of the things we would do in a case like this is we would first figure out who actually owns that piece of land. Is it the city? Is it a, 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 a private ownership, a corporation, a plaza? Who owns that? It's a sidewalk, you said. So, uh, you know, Again, sidewalks don't necessarily have to be the city. It could be somebody else who has ownership or care and control. Yep. Uh, and, and then, you know, we notify them of the incident and we ask them, well, who did work there? Who was responsible for the pipe? So we do our investigation at the beginning in order to save time down the road. So we're not in a situation where we have to backtrack. And, you know, based on the on the uh, injury that your husband suffered. I mean, that's serious. Uh, a, a, a broken knee is very serious. If he's having surgery now, he's going to have problems in the future. Oh, I don't time. know how old he is, John, but Doesn't I've matter. dealt with a lot of these kinds of injuries. At, you know, you're going to have arthritis in the future. Yeah. Ulcerative arthritis. Damn rainy day after that. Oh for my sure. God, tons, yeah. tons. Yeah. Uh, one of the experts I, I routinely use is is one of the top guys at uh, Mount Sinai. He's an orthopedic surgeon. And uh, I, I oftentimes ask him to evaluate uh, cases where I've had people uh, who've injured their knees and their hips. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I love this guy because he tells me exactly what he thinks. He's not one of those experts or doctors who, you know, uh, uh, says to me, Sivan, just tell me what you want me to put down. He gives me the goods. And, and you know, he's over, over the years told me a lot and taught me a lot about knee injuries and hip injuries because that's what he specializes in. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a very serious injury, Jessica. And, and what I would tell you is this. We would have to do an investigation, figure out who owns and controls that, that property, get their insurance companies involved. We would likely have to start a claim because he's having difficulty with work, for example, if, if you know it's affecting his ability to earn income. Totally. Uh, this could be a very significant claim. So in a case like this, John, if I was to run this kind of an injury through the injury calculator... Uh, website, I, I could easily get a, a compensation range of, let's say, 40000 60000 maybe even higher than that, $1,000 for his pain and suffering. But then the question is, what else can he get compensation for? If because of this injury, he's unable to uh, work the way he did before, and he's now losing, let's say, ten grand a year because he can't do overtime hours and whatever work he's doing, well, then, you know, tally that up until the age of retirement. 
you, you see, these kinds of claims can easily get to the six-figure, even the seven-figure range. Oh, yeah. So very, very important to do this right from the beginning. The other thing to consider, Jessica, is that if it's a sidewalk and you're dealing with the city, you want to give them notice within 10 days. So if this happened last Friday, you don't have a lot of time left. Uh, you know, I tell people, contact me. We know who we need to notify. Uh, very, very important. Uh, this is in the Municipal Act. It's very important to notify the city, any city. So it's not just Toronto. Uh, if you're dealing with, uh, you know, Aurora, if you're dealing with Hamilton, whatnot, very important to notify the city clerk of, of these kinds of injuries within 10 days. Uh, so give me a call, Jessica, after the show or email me, and I'll be more than happy to speak with you and your husband. A number, Jessica, 416-216-5910. We've only got a couple minutes left here, so I will touch on one more email before we uh, before we wrap it for a day. Sherry from Belleville says, I've been on LTD, long-term disability, for about a year, and my doctor has uh, writing letters from my insurance company and supported my disability. My insurance adjuster called me last week, told me uh, she disagrees with my doctor's assessment and that she thinks that I need to start trying to go back to work. I was literally shaking when I got off the phone with her. I don't know what to do. My husband listens to your show and told me to email you right away. Well, Sherry, uh, we don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to touch on a few points. Uh, Your husband is is a wise man. Uh, When an adjuster tells you that they disagree with your doctors and there is no rationale, they just simply want to overrule whatever your doctors are saying, that's absolute nonsense. Okay, it's, I've never seen a situation where the adjuster was held to be right. Why? Because the adjuster is not a doctor. So, you know, we are, we are dealing with medical documentation. We are dealing with legal tests. It's not enough for your adjuster to say they disagree with your doctor. They have to explain why it is that under the policy, uh, your benefits are going to stop. This is a contractual arrangement that you have with the insurance company. They can't simply say, because I think that your doctor is wrong or because I dislike your doctor, I'm not going to uh, uh, agree with your doctor. I'm not going to accept what your doctor says. If they want, they can send you to their own doctors and get other opinions, but they can't simply say, we're going to overrule your doctors. And this is what's happened here. And this is what doesn't make sense to you, and that's why your husband told you to contact me. So I can tell you right now that uh, we're going to get in touch because you sent me the email. We're going to have a quick chat. You're not going to have to deal with this adjuster anymore. It's going to be us dealing with the adjuster. You're not going to have to shake anymore. You're not going to have to worry about picking up the phone or picking up that email. We are going to deal with them. Let them deal with us, and you'll see how quickly we get this resolved. That's it for another week, my friend. Until next time, the information to get a hold of Savan, and it's uh, simple, 416-216-5910. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. you got some time, check out the injury calculator. That is injurycalculator.ca as well. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here. It's Talk Radio, AM640.